Classical music aficionados are usually not associated with rowdiness and mayhem. They tend to be rather well-behaved, and if anything, they may express their disapproval by simply not clapping loudly enough. However, there was one major exception to this. On a single night in Paris about 110 years ago, a crowd erupted into a riot over the premiere of a ballet. Learn more about classical music's most notorious evening, the premiere of the Rite of Spring, on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is sponsored by Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. I recently had the chance to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond, and I can attest to its exceptional aromas with hints of caramel and vanilla intertwining with its oakiness, which provide a well-rounded flavor profile. Taking a sip is akin to experiencing a piece of bourbon history firsthand. Heaven Hill Distillery may be America's most quintessential bourbon distillery. Established in 1935 after the end of Prohibition, the distillery was established by the Shapira family and has remained a family-owned distillery to this day. In 1897, Congress passed the Bottled in Bond Act, which set forth strict rules for any bourbon labeled Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill Bottled in Bond bourbon goes beyond the stringent requirements of the law by aging its bourbon for seven years, not four. The end result is a gold medal-winning bourbon that truly stands out. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill reminds you, think wisely, drink wisely. This episode is sponsored by ButcherBox. Summer is right around the corner, and that means cookouts. No matter what your preferred food is for a cookout or a barbecue, ButcherBox can help you make it the best. If you want to serve up some hamburgers, ButcherBox has grass-fed ground beef to make the perfect smash burger. Want to cook up some steaks? Well, ButcherBox has that too, with some of the best cuts of steak, such as New York Strip, ribeye, and filet mignon. Do you like grilled chicken? Well, ButcherBox has some of the best pasture-raised chicken that you will find anywhere. And if you really want to wow people at your next cookout, you can try grilling some of their wild-caught salmon on a cedar plank. Sign up at ButcherBox.com daily and get a special deal. ButcherBox is offering my listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com daily and use code daily to choose your free-for-a-year offer. Plus, get $20 off your first order. To understand how a ballet turned into a riot, there are a few things that need to be understood to make sense of the events which took place. The early 20th century was a time of great change in the arts. Most of you are probably familiar with some of the changes which took place in the visual arts. Artists like Picasso and Gustav Klimt were revolutionizing painting and the very meaning of what a painting was. They went far beyond the simple abstractions of Impressionist painters. As with painting, there was a revolution going on in music as well. Believe it or not, the revolution in music actually started back as early as Beethoven. One of the very last works he wrote before he died was called The Great Fugue. I'm guessing that most of you have probably never heard of it, let alone heard it, but it's the most un-Beethoven-like piece of music you'll ever hear. Much of this new music, just like new art, was very polarizing. You had traditionalists who hated it, and there were avant-garde bohemians who embraced it. Oftentimes, they rejected or supported music just because it was new and not on the merits of the work itself. Music was, just like for many people today, a way of signaling their cultural identity. 
Paris was in many ways the epicenter for this artistic movement at this period of time. Now let me introduce Igor Stravinsky. He was a Russian, born between the Finnish border and St. Petersburg in 1882. His father was the principal bass singer at the Imperial Opera in St. Petersburg, and his mother was an accomplished amateur musician from a wealthy Russian family. He was extremely bright with an aptitude for music. His parents wanted him to study law, but he eventually pursued a full-time career as a composer. He studied under the Russian composer Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov from 1905 to 1908. He first achieved fame when he was commissioned to write three works for the Ballet Russes and their famed impresario Sergei Diaghilev. Despite being a Russian ballet company, they never actually performed in Russia. They traveled for about two decades around Europe and North America, and became what some considered the most influential ballet company in the 20th century. The first of the three ballets was the Firebird Suite, first performed in 1910. This is probably one of his most famous works, and the finale has been performed during Olympic ceremonies and is part of the Disney animated picture Fantasia 2000. The Firebird is based on a Russian fairy tale, and it was the work that made Stravinsky famous. If you've never heard it, I highly recommend going and listening to the Firebird finale. I think you'll like it, and it's actually one of my favorite pieces. The second ballet was Petrushka, which was released in 1911. It tells the story of three puppets, and this is by far the least well-known of the three ballets. The final ballet was the Rite of Spring. Stravinsky was working on the Rite of Spring since at least 1910. The premise of the piece is that a group of Slavic pagans are celebrating the coming of spring, and one girl is sacrificed to the god of spring by dancing herself to death. The genesis of the Rite of Spring may have stemmed from a poem from the Russian poet Sergei Gorodetsky. Stravinsky himself said that the music came first, and then a story grew out of the music. Some have also speculated that the premise of Slavic pagans may have stemmed from the Parisian stereotypes about Russians at that time. They viewed Russians as a more primitive people, and this was Stravinsky's way of playing off the stereotype. The premise of the ballet wasn't the controversial part, however. The first controversial thing was the music. The music was not like the Firebird, which was more traditional. He wrote the work for an enormous orchestra of 99 members, which was really difficult to do for a ballet because there usually isn't room for that many people in the orchestra pit. Moreover, the music was incredibly complicated. It contained many note combinations that most musicians had never encountered before. Before the premiere, they had two weeks' worth of rehearsals, which was unusual for such a performance, and the reason was simply due to the complexity of the music. The orchestra conductor was Pierre Monteau, and he eventually had to tell the musicians to stop interrupting him when they thought there was an error in the sheet music. It wasn't an error, it was just how it was written. The other controversial part was the choreography. The choreographer was Valislav Nijinsky. He was a well-known dancer, but didn't have a lot of experience as a choreographer. The dancing was not traditional ballet. The dancers were not wearing tights or tutus. The dress was more like something you'd see native people in North America wear. It really didn't have anything Slavic about it, even though that was the original intent. The moves of the dancers were not fluid moves like you'd normally see in a ballet. They seemed jerky and random. The big opening night of the premiere was on May 29, 1913. It was to be held at the recently opened Champs-Élysées Theatre in Paris. Here, I need to explain that there is a great deal of controversy over exactly what happened on the night in question. There are different versions of the story, facts are not always consistent, and many of the parties involved have very different interpretations as to the cause of what happened. The reaction from the audience began immediately. The opening notes of the performance are of a solo bassoon, and it's a very odd choice as the bassoon is almost never given a solo, and never usually with notes that high. 
some people in the audience began laughing with the very first notes. Immediately at the end of the overture, the audience started to become loud and vocal. As the performance went on, the reaction from the crowd grew louder and more boisterous. Eventually, they became so loud that the dancers couldn't hear the orchestra. I should note that the booing was not universal. In fact, there were two very opposing factions in attendance. In Paris at this time, most ballets and classical performances had two different groups that attended. The first was upper-class, fashionable people who were there to be seen and enjoy traditional music. The other group was younger bohemians who were open to the avant-garde and wanted to hear new music. It was the first group that was jeering the performance, and the second group that eventually began to respond. Vegetables were thrown at the stage, which of course raises the question, who brought vegetables to a ballet? It wasn't long before the two groups began fighting with each other inside the theater. With people resorting to fisticuffs, the police were called in, and they addressed the crowd during the intermission. Yep, all that occurred before the intermission. When the second half resumed, the crowd went right back at it. More shouting, more fighting, more vegetables, and more chaos. Yet, despite everything happening in the audience, the performance kept on going. However, Stravinsky was so disgusted by the audience that he left his seat to watch from the wings of the stage. However, for the last scene, the audience actually quieted down, and believe it or not, at the end, there was a standing ovation with several curtain calls. This is the one fact about the evening which most people are in agreement. Nonetheless, fights continued into the street after the performance, and the next day there was at least one formal duel between audience-goers. In the end, 40 people were arrested because of rioting at a ballet. The controversy about the premiere continued the next day. The composers Claude Debussy and Maurice Ravel were in attendance, and they thought it was a work of genius. Camille Saint-Cien was also in attendance and stormed out due to what he thought was an abuse of the bassoon. At the second performance, the composer Giamaco Puccini attended and called it the work of a madman and sheer cacophony. Reviews of the performance the next day were as polarizing as the audience was. Some lauded it, some panned it. History, however, has been far kinder to the Rite of Spring and Igor Stravinsky. Less than a year later, the Rite of Spring was performed as a concert without any dancing, and it was a huge success. The crowd this time was so enthusiastic that they carried Stravinsky on their shoulders and out into the street. The Rite of Spring is now considered perhaps the most important work of classical music in the 20th century. The controversy about the premiere thrust Stravinsky into the position as the greatest, or at least best known, living composer in the world. There have been more books written about the Rite of Spring than any other work of classical music. Many people define the start of 20th century music with the Rite of Spring. Over a hundred years later, there is still debate as to what the riot was about exactly. Were people rioting about the music or about the dancing? Were they objecting to Stravinsky or Nijinsky? Was this fundamentally a clash of musical tastes, or was it a clash of social classes? According to some theories, the entire episode may have been set up to earn free publicity. In the end, it probably doesn't really matter, and at this point, we'll probably never really know. What we do know is that one of the most influential compositions of the 20th century began with having vegetables thrown at the stage and fistfights. Everything Everywhere Daily is an Airwave Media podcast. The associate producers are Thor Thompson and Peter Bennett. Today's review comes from listener Deidre from Virginia on Apple Podcasts in the United States. She writes, Everyone should listen to Everything Everywhere. If you've seen a recent increase in listeners, it may be because I tell everyone about Everything Everywhere. It is at the point where my son rolls his eyes when I start mentioning it. But he still listens. Love it. Keep up the great work. 
P.S. My husband loves the Scotty vest he got as a Christmas present. Thanks, Deidre. I'm glad to know that you're sharing the show with other people. The more people who listen, the more people who will learn. And I'm also sure that Scott Jordan, the founder of Scotty Vest, will be happy to hear that your husband is enjoying his clothes, as Scott is a regular listener to the podcast. Remember, if you leave a review or send me a boostagram, you too can have it read on the show.